Hey, everyone. We want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt's. You may know Roosevelt's as the company who makes those rad all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but t-shirts, they do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. Hello there, and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm Adam Russell. I'm Ryan Key. Hey, everyone. I'm Nick Gambarian. What's up? What's up? Ryan Key, where are you right now? Tell the people. I'm at Disney World. Life is good. That it is. That you I'm, are. Uh, coming to you from uh, my Disney Resort hotel, and I'm not mad about it. <laughs> I'm not even remotely jealous once again. I did Disneyland yesterday. Sorry, Adam. Totally not jealous of anyone at this moment. <laughs> Jill and I, though, um, if plans that we cannot say out loud don't go down the way we think they're going down in a couple weeks, we may just go to Florida instead. So we shall see. Come on down. See how that all shakes out. <laughs> Lots of vague uh, nothings coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Let's talk about The Mandalorian. It's the season finale. It's a big deal. We're about to be in some uh, some downtime coming up here. We got some fun stuff to talk about regardless. So let's get into this episode. Quite a lot happening. We'll get straight into stolen plans right now. What have you done with those plans? The Mandalorian, Chapter 24, the Season 3 finale, The Return. The Return to Mandalore, we decided, right? Yeah. Or The Return of, The Return to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what that that title means. For Mandalore. That was great. Debuted today, April 19th, 2023 on Disney+. Plus. Disney Plus description, The Mandalorian and his allies confront their enemies. I wonder when in official titles and descriptions and press and stuff, they're going to start calling him Din Djarin and not just The Mandalorian. Yeah, I really, I don't know. I mean, now Grogu has a third name too, you know? Baby Yoda, Grogu, Din Grogu. Yeah. It's getting confusing for the... the People who don't I, pay I attention. I feel like that's exactly what I was going to say. I feel like this show <laughs> has become, you know, it, its own sort of pop culture phenomenon. We've talked about this. How there's people who don't, you don't have to watch Star Wars to watch this. You know, there's people who have been watching this from the beginning that aren't like massive Star Wars fans. And it, it's, it is just the Mandalorian. Like you, someone who's watched all three seasons, there are people out there who still, if you were like, who's Den Jaren? They'd be like, what do you, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. It has to be a thing. Even Jill today was like, didn't, what, what did you say? <laughs> Which one is that? Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> so the, you know, the people that are responsible for marketing and PR or whatever, they, I'm sure it's like heavily market and, you know, focus group tested. It has to just remain the Mandalorian because that's the only way people right. will know what you're talking about. It's funny to me, like grief still is like Mando, yeah. you know, and I'm yeah. like, what's yeah. the, like the equivalent on earth? Like, what would you like? 
if I saw you and I was just like American, you know, like what, like what is the equivalent? <laughs> Earthling. Yeah. What, what is the movie or show where he calls somebody, uh, calls him New York City? What am I thinking of? Or am I, I just know. thinking of the damn barbecue commercial, barbecue sauce commercial? <laughs> oh, Pace Picani sauce. New York City. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this episode was again directed by Rick Famuyiwa, executive producer, written by John Favreau. Of course, runtime of 41 minutes. No post credit scene. It's interesting because th- that mm-hmm. was the rumor, but... It's just like the ending ended. Like that felt like... like I, I know they set up like he's going to be a New Republic, you know, you know, helping the New Republic as a bounty hunter, sort of. That's like the only setup though. Like there's no bad guy. There's no, like the ending was him with his feet up and Grogu's playing. Like that felt so final to me. It felt like a series finale. Yeah, seriously. I think the big bad was set up in in the, uh, in episode seven though, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how involved he's going to be in next season is the final season of The Mandalorian, right? I don't think they announced anything. I thought they said that. Uh, No, they said the final season is something. You're thinking Bad Batch. Bad batch, yeah. yeah. Next, next year. Oh, so that's better. right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, setting up Thrawn. Yeah. So, yeah. But despite that, Nick, like you're saying, it even the way they closed it, I was going to say this till the end. But that iris wipe that goes down to Grogu, the Looney Tunes, that's all, folks. Thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that implies those words were done. Yeah. But they're not really. And that was cute shit. I mean, if the if that movie slate, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that Filoni movie is the culmination of all everything going on or it's just a movie and then there's going to be seasons after. I don't know. Yeah. But if that movie is the culmination of like this whole Mandoverse, then there might be one more season because like what yeah. like I think I, I really don't know. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't at that panel, but that's the word that I heard on the street there in London was that that his movie is the finale of all of this stuff of the mandoverse the mandoverse yeah. as we're calling it yeah even though that's several years out now yeah cat in the chat says uh i think that's the word they use yeah. culmination well I, I heard like 2026 or 2027 i gotta stay alive that long Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> it's getting tough out here i don't know if i could swing that <laughs> I, f- I feel like a five six season thing is pretty standard for you know what i mean if a show is not being cut short like everyone was surprised when they said this is the final season of succession right really popular show on hbo max right now it was kind of surprising that they just called it it was always i mean it was planned it's like apparently has an amazing ending but i'm just saying like this show with them not making any of those announcements like a normal series runs for five or six seasons right so that would that would time out right for the movie another two or three seasons all right i'm gonna skip uh the cast here because no new characters we brought back the majority of of the folks from this season so we'll just skip uh straight ahead here this was for sure a direct continuation of last episode it cuts straight in like this could have been easily a double episode you know dropped at the same time uh no more spies than just Ilya kane we were all like everyone even the cast was like baiting people like i saw emily swallow posted last night Who's the other spy? You know, who are the spies? <laughs> she was just playing along with everyone yeah. saying it was the armorer. That's yeah. all. But I, I think that we have established through our own conversations off the pod about this, that it probably, and it's okay, doesn't go any deeper than the Imperial spies. I mean, that 
that scene, and I mentioned this to you, Adam, the scene where Elliot Kane is, you know, backs in that alley to call mm-hmm. Moff Gideon and inform him, which would, in my opinion, thus the title, The Spies of the episode, because she's like, they're going to Mandalore and they've teamed up. Um, they showed that scene again in the previously on before the finale. So I like hammering that scene home again, really, I think just solidifies it, at least in my mind, that that's all that it, that's all it meant. Yeah. And it implies that there, there's a network, like you're saying everywhere spying on everything because they're trying to rebuild. Right. And we saw the shadow council and, you know, whether related to the title, the spies or not, you did hear Hux say, uh, in that council, you know, I've heard whispers that you are, you've taken, Mm -hmm. you've stolen Pershing's research, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So just that there's, as Varys would say, little birds everywhere. Adam, that's a dragons and, and magic reference for you. So I, I think it was fun to speculate, but I think what's really important at the end of the day, however you know well the execution was, is that the First Order is building and that yeah. it's being built on the back of espionage and spies and things like that and people like Elliot Kane. Jason Chiodo, uh made a good point in the chat here, going back to the number of seasons. John Favreau back in February said about season three, I think the beauty of this is is that it's a middle chapter of a much larger story. So taken literally, that would mean five seasons. Mm-hmm. But that five could be comprised of Ahsoka, mm-hmm. you know. And that feels right. It feels right. So hopefully we get five. If not, though, it feels it feels right. One more season of, of Grogu learning and being the apprentice, and then the final season, Grogu is a Mandalorian. You know what I mean? Like, that's a, yeah. that's a final yeah. sort of... You, you've had the foundling season. You've had the... Like first season was Discovery, second season was Foundling, or third season was Foundling. This season next will be Apprentice, and then we'll see him become a Mandalorian in the f- final season, right? I mean, that makes yeah. sense. Dude, you guys have probably seen like the the few different like artist concept renderings of Grogu mm-hmm. grown up with like, he's got like a braided pulled back samurai kind of ponytail yeah. thing. He's got like some Sick. different little helmet with horns on it and shit. So pumped. Let's go. Let's go. I just want to fu- see a full CG, full, like running full speed, like a young Yoda, badass version with a new outfit. Get that kid some real clothes. A <laughs> uh, really good point just made by Chris in the chat. Wonder if they wrapped this season up so cleanly because we shouldn't expect Grogu and Mando and Mando and Ahsoka. Oh, that's really something that's really something to ponder. Like the whole hire me to run off and do, you know, stay at your cab grief, stay at your cabin in between adventures, you know, like, we are now of the mindset that they're off to run uh, father and son and have some adventures yeah. while we all go watch what looks to be <laughs> the most insane thing they've done yet this summer. Yeah. Could be taking a they could be taking a beat from from sorry, they could be taking a beat from Book of Boba Fett too. How people were kind of like really pumped on the Mandalorian episode, but how everyone was just like, that's just an episode of the Mandalorian. Right. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe they're they're taking some feedback from that and going, let's, you know, in Ahsoka. We've already had uh, the Mandalorian and Ahsoka together on screen. Right, right. I don't know. I like Chris's thought there. That house, I was going to talk about it later, but... You want it. I want to live in it. Um, (laughs) I want to just like buy two shipping containers and stick them in my backyard and just plaster the outside and make it look like that. But dude, it looks so much, so, so much like this thing that's being built in the middle of Arizona or Utah, one of the two this place called Outpost X that I've been following since they had like a hundred followers, this investor dude is building like a Tatooine style resort to go stay at. It's just a circle of like a dozen of those things out in the desert. And the renderings look just 
like that. Sick. Like it's uncanny. When do we book? Very soon. I think they're supposed to open like in the summer or fall maybe. Okay. But it looks dope and I've been messaging the dude and reposting and stuff. So I think he follows us. Cool. That's a business trip, right? We can write that off. Press review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Press review of the, of the spot. Outpost X. Look it up. All right. Um, any other first impressions? I thought some things, but Ryan, you go first. I, I think that we were a little bit, or we, t- we talked last week about how sometimes the penultimate episode, the second to last episode is like the soup. And then the final episode of a season sometimes ends up just being leftovers. Right. And uh, I was pretty pumped that that wasn't the case here, that there was this massive climactic battle. And I think we we've been just pumped on everything and we were so pumped on Andor, but I think it's been a minute since we've seen just this like all out star Wars, tie fighters, Mm -hmm. Mandalorians flying around with dark sabers battle, you know? And I mean, I was just so mesmerized by the choreography and I mean the whole, the jet, the jetpack concept of having that many, the you know, the capability Mm -hmm. they have now to do a scene like that. I just thought it was beautiful. I thought it was a beautiful fight sequence and, yeah, I loved it. I, I, I guess I would say that I, I'm not sure how I feel about Moff Gideon's exit or whether it even was an exit because he was wearing that Beskar yeah. suit, you know, that seemed to be so powerful. Uh, he'd have some pretty gnarly neck burns, though, and like back of leg burns, you know, but. Or how about the fact that there there were clones? Like maybe. Yeah. Oh, maybe that wasn't even maybe, him. Maybe he was a clone. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that wasn't even yeah, him. Yeah, somebody brought that up in the Discord. We don't know for sure. That if that's seems the, too wild of an idea. Yeah. I'm, Either way, that I would say that was the one thing where I was like, wait, it kind of had a Captain Phasma vibe of like, yeah, wait, yeah. what? That's it? He's gone? But uh, obviously super pumped on all the Grogu Force stuff. I mean, yeah. just so cool. And like some of it I, you saw, especially at the end with the the guards, I, I mean, when they came, when they came in and were like attacking, uh, obviously he was fighting the guards the whole time. But when they were kind of attacking and had Din like down for the count, sort of almost, he got a little like violent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was, Grogu was kind of thrashing, and I, I don't know. I just was really, it's like the whole thing of like Andor not having a lightsaber in it or whatever, or, or Rogue One not having a lightsaber in it. It's like this doesn't have a lot of lightsabers, but man, that was just give me some force, Grogu using the force. I'm here for it. Nick, how about you? What did what did you enjoy in this? I mean, it was just beautiful. Last last week and this week, the visuals that we were getting were legitimate, like all time Star Wars yeah. moments. So that's that's a noticeable thing. Uh, I know we mentioned it throughout this whole season, but the volume being noticeable is just not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And the scope of the last two episodes in particular were were film. You know, like that that would look amazing in a theater. I think for sure. So that was the most noticeable thing to me. That was the, like my takeaway from it all. It's like, I like where the story ended up and I just thought it looked amazing. I think there was just so many action shots and I'll get into my favorite one for, I love you. I know later on, but shout out to those, uh, Thai interceptors. I want to say how they were like <sighs> coming off the ceiling and yes. Flying, yes. Like, just dropping for a second and going in like that was amazing. And then like the, the so like, cool shooting straight up in to get yeah, up yeah. into like yeah. upper atmosphere in space, like taking off like a space yeah. shuttle. Yes. Like just so many like greatest hits moments as far as visuals. It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Somebody in our discord made the joke that uh, 
that tie launch system is not for the first day pilot. <laughs> no, that's uh, no, that's not how you launch on your first day in the uh, the, in the first order or whatever they're going to call this thing. Um, yeah, I, I thought the same thing visually. There was just some beautiful looking stuff and a, a lot of like a lot of great visual language used, not just on like a, a cinematography like composition level, but well, I guess yeah, it would apply the same way. Like the stuff that Favreau and Rick Femiua seem to be on the same page about. I don't know if it's because Rick is also a huge Top Gun fan or what, but there was so much of that, the kind of stuff that, that Favreau started to bring in in Iron Man 1 that we've talked about before, where it's like the camera is attached to the TIE fighter mm-hmm. as if it's a real ship and a real camera and there's no other way to shoot it. And it, that grounds you in a way that you don't get when the camera's, this invisible CG camera's flying all around, swirling through the air, you know? That stuff and then similar kind of stuff with all, all the jetpacks really felt awesome. There was a shot, and I can't remember if it was in 7 or, th- or this one. I, like, it may have been shown in the recap before this episode, but there was a shot of them all, like, taking off, mm-hmm. like, running and taking off their jetpacks, and the camera was running as yeah, if it yeah. was some, one of them taking off, you know? It wasn't just like your standard like handheld camera movement. It was it really right, right. I noticed that it felt like it was one foot in front of the other. The camera was doing this, you know, to watch everyone taking right. off. It was cool. There was also a great shot when they they jumped out of the cruiser and they were jetpacking down to the gauntlet fighters and getting in, you know, the back doors of those through the the kind of landing ramps that were open in the air. Mm-hmm. And the one Mandalorian came in and almost ate shit. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Didn't land fully gracefully, For but sure. it, it had a, like a really raw mm-hmm. kind of like almost like, you know, storming the beach kind of vibe. Like everyone's just full force tumbling to wherever they're going to go to hopefully survive and get through the battle. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that stuff was great. And then the ending, like we talked about already, it felt very George Lucas to me, you know, like a beautiful, happy ending that really ties it up in that you know, kind of like fairy tale way, good guys win, you know, right off into the sunset or they, you know, they're, they're happy at home in front of, you know, with their family or in front of a fire or whatever, you know? And, uh, it did that while still planning seeds for the future. Like we talked about. So had that super, I was fulfilled, super Western lens closing down around Grogu. Yes. All right. Let's get into the plot overview. Like I said, we pick up right where we left off last week with Bo-Katan and the rest of the Mandalorians retreating from Gideon's hidden Imperial base on Mandalore. Axwoves is on his way up to the cruiser, jetpacking Iron Man style up into the top of the atmosphere into space to get to the cruiser. Bo-Katan radios warm to Axe. Warm pants. He's wearing very <laughs> warm pants. Lots of layers. Yeah. You got a layer. Yeah. Because you have to breathe, you know, the, the sweat, you need to wick away the sweat. Yeah. You know, so you don't get cold in the upper atmosphere. These are rules that we all know. Bo-Katan uh, radios to Axe for reinforcements, tells him to leave the cruiser there as a decoy. They'll fight the Imperials on the ground. That's the only way they're going to beat them. We cut to Din Djarin, who is being dragged away by three troopers, just like we saw him last time. They've got him with the, the um, what do you call those cables? Um, you know, like the, the grappling cable kind of thing. They've got him restrained that way, and they're just dragging him. He seems unconscious, but then he pops up, frees himself, fight ensues. He takes out two of them, but gets tied up by the third again. And just when we think it's looking bad, like he's not going to make it, Grogu shows up in IG-12. No, no, no. 
and saves him. It's awesome. It just made me so happy. And then he sprays him with the back to spray at the end. He just keeps hosing him with it. So cute. He's like, I'm fine. He's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm fine. So Din Djarin, then I have to call him Din Djarin now because I can't call him by his last name first. Or you can. I don't know. It's confusing. People called me Russell in high school. Just call him Jarn. Jarn. My boy Jarn. Radios to Bo-Katan that they're going after Moff Gideon. Bo-Katan and company head up to the surface. Uh, to hole up in a place that the survivor captain, uh, Charles Parnell's character, knows of. He's going to take them there while they wait for reinforcements. Gideon's fighters and bombers launch, like we talked about, dropping like bats and taking off, headed for the Mandalorian cruiser. Gideon goes to confront Din Djarin himself. Very, like, Vader, um, you know, prepare my ship kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I love the the sound there where he is speaking without his helmet and puts mm-hmm. his helmet on. And it was almost like it was more Kylo than Vader, the way yeah. it sounded. It was like almost like borderline distorted. Mm-hmm. It was great. Mm-hmm. Din Djarin and Grogu make their way to Gideon's command center while R5-D4, the original hero of Star Wars, now with some on-screen action, mm-hmm. scomping into the basis system mean, in the meantime and, and guiding them through. Axe arrives at the Mandalorian cruiser, orders all the Mandalorians down to the surface to give back up, rushes them out. They jump out and jetpack to the gauntlets like we talked about. They descend, start kicking ass, battle ensues. The cruiser is taking heavy fire. In the meantime, they've sort of passed, or they've made it sort of under the radar. The bombers and the fighters aren't aware that they're headed down, so the bombers and fighters take on the cruiser, and they're bombing the living shit out of it. It's looking bad for this Mandalorian cruiser. Back to Din fighting his way through the base, Hand-to-hand fighting through the Red Shield Corridor against, like, sick fight choreography. Like, some of the best Mm -hmm. of the whole show. Felt like there was a very video game stuff going on there where every time he reached the next one, he got, like, a new weapon. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Did you catch when, um, in, I guess, the second section, the one dude had a blaster, and he went to grab it, like, right as the dude lost it, and he just barely missed it? Did you catch that? Mm-mm. It like fell off the edge. He went to grab the blaster and he's like, shit. And he goes back to the knife for the next one. I did not see that. Did you also notice there's some like, like they did this amazing combination and this goes all the way to the end fight with Gideon. It was like mixed martial arts, ground fighting, you know, like military hand-to-hand combat, like some wrestling moves. Nick, you'll know this better than any of us. Like even like the grabbing the fist at the, you know, the end of the fight with Gideon was yeah. like very WWE, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the one trooper that he like, he wrapped his, he like put his arms around his neck and sort of like drop hammer, dropped him to the yeah. floor and just straight yeah. broke his neck. Yeah. Like there, we're back to that conversation about like just straight murder, death kill in Star Wars. Like he was stabbing dudes in the neck. Yeah. And it was like, it was brutal. You heard the dude's neck snap. That's new. Yeah. That's new for Star Wars. <laughs> the idea of finding all the soft spots to stick the blade is... That, that is not yeah. set to stun. That guy is dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he and Grogu then make their way into the cloning chamber. Turns out they're all clones of Gideon, like we mentioned earlier. Did, how long did it take you to figure that out? I was, I was, immediately, I was like, what, who are they? Who, okay, they kind of... Oh. It, like, that was the first thing that my brain went to was trying to figure out what was in the tanks. Yeah, same. I I was thinking, hoping Snoke for a second, and then once the one, once they started approaching the one that opened its eyes, it was you know it wasn't until that moment that I really knew. Yeah. 
Yeah. Din blows all of them up. I don't know what he did. I don't know if there was a self-destruct, but you know, all, all the glass blows open. The water comes rushing out. Those clones are done. They bail out on their way to Gideon. Bo-Katan and crew arrive at the captain's spot. It's this lush cave, underground cave with, with some light coming in. You know, there are a lot, lots of plant life in there. And the captain tells them that while they've been hiding out for the past 30 some odd years on Mandalore, they've been cultivating indigenous plants plants that had only lived in the domes since long before the wars, before the Mandalorian wars, like destroyed the whole planet and they had to start living in these domes. They hadn't seen these plants anywhere. They thought they couldn't live on the planet, but it turns out Mandalore is alive in the absence of, of any species messing with the surface of the planet they've grown. And, and these Mandalorians have since cultivated them. So the, the one survivor said something like life persists, which yeah. to me was like mm-hmm. life, uh, finds, finds a way. A way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you slap it on a lunchbox. You want to sell it. You want to sell it. <laughs> Let's see. Um, the armor and reinforcements arrive. So they head back to the base to take on the Imperials. And it's like, again, one of those shots we're talking about the armorer jetpacking, Bo-Katan flying with the dark saber, you know, straight ahead of her, and like comic like book style. when she like flips it up over, yes. she like pulls it up in front of her head, but right to be like ready for combat yeah. when it gets close. Like the first pull is like charge yeah. ahead, straight ahead, follow me. And then when they get closer, she flips it up over her forehead, like ready to swing it. Yeah. So nasty. It was such a sick Clone Wars moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So huge air to air jetpack dogfight. And it's, I don't know how much you should say about this. What I'm about to tell you is classified. You could end my career. We're in the worst dogfight I ever dreamed of. There are bogeys like fireflies all over the sky. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> if you know, you know. That's the first thing uh, that popped that in my great. head when I saw Thank those. You. Thank you like, for that. Oh, God. Made my day. Of course, we waited till Nick left. Yeah. It was good timing. So <laughs> Din and Grogu get to Gideon's command center. He, he's very butthurt that Din destroyed all of his clones and proceeds into yeah. yet another comic book villain monologue about his plan. Yeah, Explaining the plan. Yeah. <clears throat> so he, uh, he was trying to isolate, this is big news, trying to isolate the potential to wield the force. Like he, he talks about, he, he did all this work. He's got these suits. He's, he's collect, like he said last week, collected all these things from all these different cultures to create kind of the, the best soldier. And his mind, it's him in this suit. But he was missing one thing. I was isolating the potential to wield the force and incorporating it into an unstoppable army. And you smothered them before they could draw their first breath. Simmer down, bud. Okay. Um, it's, it's interesting. I did not see that coming. You know, I figured he was, when we, we, we talked about it, the idea that he had something to do with the cloning, but I didn't, I didn't expect him to be the dude that was trying to, to squeeze some force juice out of the situation. Well, we can get into this and we can get into this in the, in the discussion, but this whole, this whole thing makes the, the conversation between the members of the shadow council have tons more weight. Yes. Um, that maybe, maybe, you know, you didn't, we, we didn't 
sorry, Goose, we <laughs> didn't pick up on as much, you know, what the meaning behind it really was uh, in episode seven, but now it's super clear what they were, what was going on. Yeah. So more, so, more to come on that. On we'll that. talk in a bit. Yeah. So a fight ensues. Gideon's suit isn't just armor, turns out. It's mechanized. I don't know if we got a clear indication of that mm-hmm. last time, but I started hearing the sounds as he was moving. I was like, what? Yep. And then it became clear. Yeah, he, the, the way he crushes the Darksaber and the yeah. way he like, stops every single attack that Din Djarin has you know, by, with just brute force. You can, you can start to hear that, oh, it's... It's like the the dark trooper or like you know the the droid exactly dark yeah. troopers that Luke mowed down. It's just got a dude in the suit now. Yeah, it, super Iron Man again. Yeah. So Praetorian guards show up. It's four to one. Din might claim that he likes those odds, but it was not working in his favor. Grogu shows up again. No, 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 and takes on the Praetorian guards, and then they get separated. You know the blast door kind of shuts, so it's Grogu versus the Praetorian guards. Din's freaking out. <sighs> I was nervous, dude. Dude, it was rough. I really was. IG gets taken down. You know, chop, they chop off one of his arms. Grogu's on his own. He's out of the droid, and he's flipping around. He's on the chandeliers trying not to get chopped up. <laughs> Gideon and Din are out there fighting. Din's about to lose. Bo-Katan shows up right as this is, is nearing ahead and takes on Gideon. And it's an awesome standoff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's there with the Darksaber. It's badass. He draws an electrostaff kind of thing. They fight. Din and Grogu then go take down the Praetorian guards. Grogu using the force to help. And it's an awesome, like, teamwork of, you know, the two of them really kind of getting each other now. They know each other's strengths. And it's a really, really awesome fight. Again, great choreography. Thought it was awesome. Cut back to Axe Wolves steering the ship down to the planet, headed directly for the base. Bo-Katan, meanwhile, is losing the fight to Gideon because, again, that suit is just superhuman. So... He, he stops her with that, that hand grab, you know, like the fist grab that I was talking about earlier, the WWE move, kind of smashes her hand and grabs the Darksaber and crushes it. Something I don't think it any did. of us saw coming. No. Mm. Not at all. Big implications. Maybe not. We'll talk about that later. So rest in peace, Darksaber. Din then shows up. He and Grogu come through, starts blasting Gideon. Meanwhile, Axe blasts through the cruiser window, jetpacks out, and sends the cruiser crashing directly into the base. Almost like, uh, what is it, Return of the Jedi, when they turn the one Star Destroyer into the other? Yeah. That style? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as the explosion begins to erupt around them, Gideon is consumed by the fire, and Grogu uses the Force to shield Bo, Din, and himself, going back to season one, when they were in, you know, I guess the first time they fought Gideon, right? When they were in, in the, the spot where the, the client was and he held back the fire, first time he used the force? Am I right? Yeah. That was season one. Either was it the finale or maybe chapter seven? Or, he definitely has done it before. Yeah. Well, there yeah. was like a flame trooper that he did that too. Yes. Yes. Full circle stuff. Awesome. So he shields them. He, he only sat down afterwards instead of passing out like yeah. he normally would. So there's, there's more strength, I guess you could perceive that as, that he's, he wasn't as wiped out mm-hmm. After, mm-hmm. after that scenario. Yeah. He's baby swole. So the Mandalorians win. Cut to the living waters. Pez Vizsla's son is there standing in the water. The armorer is baptizing him, finishing his Mandalorian initiation. He takes the creed. No giant alligators show up. He is now an apprentice. We're learning this process that when you take that creed, that's when you become an apprentice up from a foundling. I wonder what it's like if you're just born into it. Is it like, 
you know, like an age thing or? You probably go youngling to apprentice. Yeah, that makes sense. You know? So Din Djarin then steps up and says, Grogu is also ready to graduate from foundling to apprentice. But the armorer pushes back, says, he's too young to speak, like they mentioned before, therefore unable to take the creed and become an apprentice. Din says, if a parent can give him permission, doesn't that allow him to be taken as an apprentice? The armor pushes, armorer pushes back again, says his parents are nowhere to be found, could be dead by now for all they know. Sorry, bro. So Din steps up and says he will adopt Grogu as his son. The armorer grants his request and gives him the name Din Grogu. This is the way. And it's a great line, again, from, it's a great line from the armorer. She says, let it be written in song that Din Djarin is accepting this foundling as his son. You are now Din Grogu, Mandalorian apprentice. You must leave Mandalore and take your apprentice on his journeys just as your teacher did for you. So the songs, this, I just thought of this, the songs may not mean musical songs. That may just be like a word for poetry in a way. Or Yeah, scrolls. Whatever. Yeah. Just like nah, man, they're starting a band. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna put some like some awful like end of Return of the Jedi revamp music like in the, <laughs> that they put in the nineties next like all the Mandalorians like they're all playing flutes. Yeah, pan flutes. Yeah. <laughs> George Lucas definitely wants that to happen. He's like, You guys, you're missing a huge opportunity here for a big choreographed Mandalorian dance at the end of the season. He walks in like Christopher Walken and says, You're gonna want more pan flute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, man, there's like eight or nine of us here. It could totally be a ska band. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the camera then descends down into the waters. We again see the eye of the mythosaur, and that crossfades into the Mandalorian mythosaur flag near the Great Forge. The armorer fires up the forge. It's awesome. There's like three giant ones. They all light. Everyone cheers for Mandalore. It's this big, triumphant mandalorian moment and we then cut to din arriving back at what we love lovingly refer to as the hard deck the (laughs) republic base bar and carson teva greets him they've apparently heard about the mandalorians defeating gideon din offers to work for the new republic on a case-by-case basis of course because that'll work better episodically uh to help protect the outer rim carson agrees to do it on the dl because you know he's already dealt with the folks on coruscant Tim Meadows isn't going to give him a budget for this. So they're going to do it kind of under the radar. He gives him an IG droid head as an advance. This is what Din's offering because Grogu's seen the head up there and he's like, no, no, but it's a different guy. That's, that's not your friend's head. So he gets the head. We're figuring he's going to do something with it. And we find out right away they're back on Navarro. Din Djarin gives Grief Karga the refurbished IG-11, now programmed to be the new marshal of Navarro, and Grief Karga gives Din a cabin outside of town. So not only do the Mandalorians have land, but Din gets this little plot of land with a cabin. We then cut to that. Din's on the porch with his feet up, straight cowboy style, like you said earlier. Grogu's out at the pond levitating frogs. Happy music plays. I'm sure there's a pan flute in there somewhere. Iris wipe to Grogu. That's all, folks. Credits roll. Did either of you who had probably heard that there was supposed to be a, a post-credits thing. I think Mike said that. That was the rumor, right? Do you think this whole part with um, with Carson Teva and the cabin was maybe intended to be the post-credits thing? 
it's possible. It has that vibe, like ship flying, you know, in at, after the credits. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the way, I don't think this is the first time they've done this, but it's just, there's like three separate endings to this show. So any of the, uh, this yeah. episode in particular, so any of them could have been like the way there's like no transition between, mm-hmm. it's just a, a screen wipe and new scene. So any of them could have been post-credit. It would make sense. I mean, I guess that final one with the, you know, the hangar bar and, and the homestead, because those plant more seeds, you know, than the forge one, I guess, you know what I'm saying? It has a very like, you know, Thor will return kind of vibe to it. So I could see that. And I I can imagine them thinking, okay, do we really give them like a 33 minute finale with a post-credit scene or do we just put it in the thing? I could see them kind of debating that, doing the math on it. So, yeah, I mean, serves the same purpose. Right. I think the post-credit thing is just like such an expectation now. It's so funny. Like you go to any... Thanks, Marvel. Any Marvel, anything, any superhero movie, anything that even remotely approaches that Venn diagram of genres and no one gets up when the credits roll. (laughs) It's so funny. All right, let's discuss a few things before we get into the den and whatnot. The Super Commando armor, it is Beskar, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. There was something in the last episode where I don't. Gideon was, he said Beskar alloy, which mm-hmm. that's I don't, like alloy is like kind of a couple of things. Combined, like a combination, right? yeah. Yeah. So like we've only ever heard it called Beskar. I don't remember mm-hmm. it being called Beskar alloy. So I don't know what that would be in reference to. I also don't know. I think he might have been referring to his own suit at that point. That's what I thought, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There w- there was a mention of something. I don't know if I like heard this in a Star Wars Explained video or it's something from like a novel or comics, but pure, straight up, 100% Beskar it was like pretty rare, even at the height of Mandalore. Maybe it had to do with like the number of you know, Mandalorian armor suits that were out there or something, but supposedly it wasn't all too common for something to to be pure Beskar, which is Mm -hmm. maybe why Din's armor is that much more special, you know, why they're leaving it unpainted, you know, because it's it's supposed to represent how it's pure and that's rare. Either way, it seems like all these troopers have some kind of alloy at least because otherwise he wouldn't be stabbing in all the soft parts to to feed them. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it also sounded much more metallic when he was, you notice that when he was doing the hand-to-hand stuff with the knives? It's a lot more clanky. Yeah, and the blaster bolts were just b- bouncing off yeah. of them. Okay, so also, this isn't a big question, just like a curiosity. Why does Din Djarin's name follow the surname first format, but others like Bo-Katan and Paz Vizsla, you know, Bo-Katan Kreez, follow the surname last format? Is Din Djarin his actual native given name when he was found as a foundling? That's the impression I get. It's just a Concordia thing, bro. <laughs> That's just how they do it there. No clue. I, I think it could be like a weird phonetic thing in real life where I think Grogu Jaren sounds weird. You know, <laughs> they Grogu no sounds a little yeah. better. Yeah. yeah, that's the meta answer. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they decided on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They decide on the fly and they'll easily just say, that's just how they do it on the moon since he wasn't raised on Mandalore. And, it, you know, they, they just, it was a different vibe up there. But aren't they all the armor and Paz and everyone from Concordia as well? Yeah. I guess the armor, yeah. But Vizsla, that name is as old as anything on Mandalore. So mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, he was taken from that village. Of She's just making up rules all the time, man. The armor, yeah. just making shit up. But yeah, but maybe that is his given name. Like he showed up and they asked him what his name was and that's what he said. Yeah, hey, little boy hiding in the ditch. What's your name? Yeah. 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 Okay, so no more Darksaber. Rest in peace, Darksaber. What does this mean? What do you guys think? We don't have to speculate because this is an unanswerable question at this point. We don't have to get theorizing. What does this mean for Bo-Katan and the future of Mandalore and leadership? Uh, my first thought was uh, Rise of Skywalker, that the, the Skywalker legacy saber was broken in half and then it was back in the next movie. Like it, it has like there's no consequence to me, you know, like yeah. this one wasn't even broken that bad. It was just bent a little bit. It just like ceased to work. You just put it on your knee and just pull like yeah, this exactly. and straighten it yeah. back out. Yeah. Bo Jackson baseball bat on your knee. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like it, it maybe served the purpose for that second, but I, I, I don't see it going away. Ryan, what do you think? Or it's just like, I don't know, It's it could be also just more of this sort of concept of sh the shedding of these like preconceived, you know, notions of what leadership and, and the, the way is. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the way is a little more fluid now to avoid the, you know, tragedy that has befallen Mandalore in the past. Like we can't, you know, can't make the same mistakes we used to because we're just so bound to tradition, right? Like we have to build anew. So I don't know. Like being able to be the leader without the dark saber is significant, you know. For people to put their trust in you just because you're you, like to believe in you and follow you, because you're a leader, not because you're wielding the dark saber. That was my hope, you know, because we get, we have the, the armorer welcoming Bo-Katan. We've laid the seeds to get to the point now where the dark saber can be destroyed and it doesn't just send the whole thing into turmoil again. But man, I want. That one shot of Bo-Katan with, you know, with the thing out in front of her as she's jetpacking, just, she needs some kind of sword weapon. Get her a lightsaber. It's just so sick. I think it'll be back. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it'll be uh, less dark. <laughs> the dark gray saber. Um, saber the gray. We'll see. All right. We're going to talk about two things in the after sh show thing. So if you want to listen to that, patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. And you can watch it. It's video also. Project Necromancer, it, it's, it's murky now because according to Gideon in last episode, cloning was someone else's obsession, not his, yet he has this whole, this whole side hustle of his cloning thing. Was the client season one? Do, there's a lot going on, so we're going to talk about that. And then we have a couple unanswered questions left. Who actually extracted Gideon from the shuttle? Where'd that chunk of Beskar come from? Was it just the super commandos with their Beskar armor, or is there another faction of Mandalorians that's loyal to him? Who are the people in the super commando suits themselves? Are they former stormtroopers or are they actual Mandalorians? And where is Elia Kane? What's next for her now that Gideon is gone? Who does she report to? So we'll talk about that in the after show thing. Patreon.com slash thank the maker pod. Let's do the Den of Antiquities. Hey everyone, we want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt's. You may know Roosevelt as the company who makes those rad, all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. 
and not just button downs, but t-shirts, they do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. It is the dark saber. It's a Calicori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. Just a few in this one. Nick, what do we have? Yeah, not too much. Pretty uh, light on Easter eggs, but heavy on action in this episode. But uh, starting off with the Super Commandos baton weapons, they're very similar to uh, the First Order Z6 Riot Control baton electro staffs. There's also, I feel like this could transition into the next point here, which is Gideon's staff is very similar to the staff of the IG-100 Magna Guards, which uh, we first saw in Revenge of the Sith, and then a bunch in the Clone Wars. So I don't know. They both live in kind of the same world. What is, I think, kind of cool and looked great visually was that they glowed like purple. Mm. So purple with black and red was was kind of a cool vibe. Yeah, I want to say there's like Purge Troopers too in Fallen Order that have that sort of purple glow. Yeah, pretty cool. It did give them, you know, when you have a dark saber or blasters, like Star Wars just needs something in between blasters and lightsabers, you know. Right. And I think that these kind of electro staff things uh, serve a purpose. Did you guys catch when uh, Gideon was fighting Bo-Katan? Did he block once with the middle of the thing? Block the Darksaber? Or did I missee that? Not sure. Because if that did happen, is it also Beskar? Yeah, it would have to be, right? Which yeah. he has Beskar, so why not? Yeah, right. It seemed like he was pretty obsessed with it. Like he would be making yeah. everything out of it. You know, his cookware is made of Beskars. <laughs> He's got a whole Etsy shop of Beskar things, you know? Uh, the red lights on the mouse droids and just multiple mouse droids in general, I think that was the first time seeing any of that happen. Plus their little like ambulance siren. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, are those lights, this is probably a question for Mike or somebody else who builds more stuff. Were those lights always on them on the top? Is that just the first time we've seen lights on? That might be the first time we've seen them do their job and find something. You know, if they're like yeah. surveillance droids, they finally found something on screen. So <laughs> that might be the first time yeah. we saw the lights and, and the uh, siren. A lot of these, the, a lot of the pictures of mouse, if you just Google mouse droid and look at images, they don't necessarily, you know, in these old pictures, they may not have been lights, but there are row, two rows of pegs on top. Right. So... That's just another example of them doing something cool with with going back and looking at the old models and things and be like, yo, what if we turn those into ambulance lights or yeah. police lights, you know? That's definitely what happened. Supposedly, for droid builders, a mouse droid is like the easiest, simplest first droid to build. So somebody out there wants to build one. That's what I hear. That's what I've learned. Speaking of red lights. Yeah, next up, the red force field battle in Gideon's lair had a similar vibe to the force field corridor battle in The Phantom Menace between Maul, Obi-Wan, and Qui-Gon. Totally did. was so sick. Such a fun yeah. pacing the, the waiting. mechanism. Yeah, yeah, dude. The, the, the troopers waiting with their shields, kind of pa like pacing the way that, that Obi-Wan was. It was 
uh, man, it was awesome. I also love the way like the smoke and, you know, all the fog from under made it even harder for them mm-hmm. to see. So when the one opened and he came flying out of the fog, it was like that much more of a surprise and more intense. Like it just upped the whole, the energy of the whole thing. And finally, I did not catch this. So I'm glad you guys put this in here. We see Dave Filoni once again. How did as, you miss it? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But Dave Filoni as Trapper Wolf in the New Republic pilot bar. They didn't focus on it. Was he just in the background? He, dude, he's just wearing a Filoni hat yeah, in the show. <laughs> I mean, it's not the yeah, black cowboy hat. It's not the black cowboy hat, but but it's a bit a large brim, yeah. you know, round or flat top hat, like a big. <laughs> yeah, amazing. It's it's yeah, it's it's fun. It's like I it actually kind of distracted me from the scene because I was like, <laughs> I'll watch it right after this. Can't not I can't stop looking at him in that hat. <laughs> I watched through a couple times. But I didn't see any of the others. I didn't see any of the other directors, you know, like we saw the first time around. But a um, few other familiar aliens and stuff. So I just want to hang out in that bar. How hard can that be to build? What does one of those, uh, what do you call it? One of those hangar style outbuildings cost from like Tractor Supply or something? Yeah, <laughs> they probably sell them on Amazon. We could pool. Yeah. We could pool for that. Yeah, we'll do a, a GoFundMe <laughs> for that for the podcast. When Mosh Isley is a standalone bar, that'll be the... Uh... Yes. The template. <laughs> Sick. All right. So that's all for uh, the Den of Antiquities. Not a ton. There's got to be some other stuff in that bar, though. I'm sure, like we do every week, we'll see a bunch of stuff come out later. Like, I think we missed some big ones last week and the week before. Just because we, you know, we do this day of. So we get what we can. But we got a format change coming up sooner than later. By the time we do Ahsoka, we're going to be on a little different schedule. And I think everyone will enjoy it. All right. Let's do I Love You, I Know. I love you. I know. Favorite scenes, favorite moments, favorite quotes. Ryan Key, tell us what the patrons thought. I got you. I got you. Uh, Our good friend, Jason Chiodo. I don't know if we've read one of his before, but shout out to uh, A New Hope Workshop and Jason. And uh, for my many lightsaber blunders, the many times (laughs) it has contacted the pavement or hard ground for me <laughs> pretending like I know how to spin it around. Jason makes them all new and shiny again. So anyways, um, he says, I think Rick Famuyiwa has leaned into the classic Star Wars transition more than any other filmmaker in this series. And the circular wipe at the very end was just the perfect amount of camp to ground <laughs> this wonderful episode. Great ending. Uh, patron Armican 2099 favorite scenes. Grogu using the Force to protect Bo and Den from the fire really shows how much he's grown and how powerful he really is. And Den fighting the shield guards really shows how much being a Mandalorian isn't just about the armor, but also the training, even though it always seems like it's so much about the armor. I know it's bad to do three, but I also can't ignore how cool it was <laughs> when all the Mandos loaded the dropships in space. It looked amazing. Patron Sandrock 2003 says, watching the armorer bring the hammer down in a jetpack fight was sweet. Also, the one Mando did the knee slide on the platform, spun, dropped off, and then hovered to make a kill shot. That whole fight was just sick. Also, watching the ties drop down and then go in that uh, go in that maneuver. Uh, I don't know. I think typo here, but... Well, I'm trying to decipher what the message in the Discord is, and it basically is saying that watching those ties drop, and we talked about this, we we all noted this earlier, the ties dropping and then immediately like hovering and taking off just mm-hmm. shows like how insanely well-trained those pilots are. And like you said, Adam, you're like, it's not a maneuver you do on your first day at the academy. You know? <laughs> yeah. All right. Patron Kai Eastman, 
Axe really redeeming himself and holy shit, the jetpack fight from the surface into space. Pure badassery. This is the way. So patron VLLN underscore 67, Chris H says, uh, so many thoughts on the finale, uh, but the favorites are pretty much everything. The battles were epic. The tie launch scene was so sick. The armorer using her hammers instead of a blaster. The pacing of the battles felt so much better in this episode than anything they've previously done. It felt, forgive me, faster and more intense. <laughs> Great, nice. great stuff, guys. Thank you to all the patrons. Uh, let's go to Nick next. Uh, again, every time we get to this point in the podcast, I go with my visceral, like physical reaction, and I got the chills and said, yeah, <laughs> when Bo-Katan was just whizzing through the air, pulled out the dark saber, and like pointed forward with it. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely amazing yeah. moment. Yeah. Charge. That's what she yelled in that helmet. Ryan, how about you? Similar, um, I have a rare for me. I have like one tiny specific moment that I just can't get out of my head. And it involves Bokhtan and the Darksaber and flying through the air. There is one shot where she straight up drives the sword through the gut oh, yeah. of one of the troopers and it shows it come out of his back. <laughs> and then in midair, she flips her feet up, flips her feet up and kicks, pu- pushes him off the blade. So yeah. it's like, it was like one fast movement of like stab, rotate, push away, pull the, pull the dark saber out. And I, I just thought that, I, I mean, I, yeah, I've been thinking about what I was going to say for, I love you. I know the whole, the whole episode and that I can't get that image. I can't just get that choreography out of my head. It was just so sick. And I think it like captured the energy and like how much I just love that entire fight sequence in general. And I don't usually go for the fight sequences, but this one was just magical. It was just so well shot and so intense. I loved it. Yeah, th- th- there's so much to be said about the choreography, the the blocking, the pacing, everything with all of the action scenes, not just fight scenes. You know, all, all of the action was so artistically composed and and edited everything. It, it was so good. I, I didn't take the time to see who the fight choreographer was. I should look that up in the credits. But like I mentioned earlier, it mixed all these different kinds of martial arts and things in a way that I feel like is now, after half a season of seeing a bunch of Mandalorians work together, sort of creating a fight style to, that is their own. It's been very consistent, and it, they just kept leveling it up over the season to the point now where we're seeing stuff in the air, like you're talking about, that is like, you know, stuff you maybe have only ever seen in animation, I can't think of any other show or movie that does aerial stuff like this this well. And I think it is the combination of Rick and John Favreau having that same kind of visual language just like embedded in them. You know, they're like old school filmmakers in that sense. And you have to write that too. You know, that's, yes, you get a fight choreographer. Yes, the director directs it. But I'd be really interested to see what's on the page, what John Favreau wrote with that there's like certain moves i'm sure it's like you know beat by beat like certain points like he wants to see bo katan do the stab and the foot push off you know he wants to see like the six shot of the armorer with her using her jetpack jetpack for the first time coming with the hammers you know so again i'm same thing i want to pick like some emotional moment but i can't not pick that scene the sword the hammers that choreography the top gun moment of Bokies like fireflies in the sky, you know, and uh, I guess that, you know, the, the honorable mention close second place would be the red force field scene, the pacing of that, 
choreography, all the, all the, again, mixed martial arts, like groundwork stuff. Slide. There was a lot of slides. You notice that? Like a lot of like taking out the legs. Mm-hmm. The Bo-Katan, dude, the Bo-Katan slide when she hit the yeah. ground, like for to go in for Gideon, it was insane. It was so sick. Like the last time we've seen stuff on that level, that like number of elements in the air, people, ships, everything, was I guess Clone Wars season seven. You know when they they crash the ship, Ahsoka lands with the flip and the dragging the sabers. You know, like that's the last time we've seen that level of gracefulness in fighting i guess and pulling it off in live action with real people granted many of them are cg i'm sure it's uh that's to be applauded i'll say that so gorgeous aerial combat meg i thought you said inglorious combat like uh what's his name in uh edge of tomorrow the dude with with the southern accent yeah to be forged yeah. and inglorious combat he yeah. just keeps saying it over and over every time he comes back time he comes back so good bill paxton great movie all right, that's, uh, that's going to do it for us. Covered a lot in an hour. feel good about that. Patrons, thank you so much for being here. We have a bunch of new patrons as of recently. Uh, a few whose comments we read off here. Patreon.com slash ThankTheMakerPod. If you want to become one of those folks, they're all at the Jedi Council tier here with us um, while we record live. This is the most we've had maybe ever today. It's good timing, too. Afternoon recording. I think it is, for sure. For sure. So we're, uh, we're going to change things up. Like I said, by the time Ahsoka comes out, I wrote this whole thing out, got a, a whole new tier system, sent it to the dudes. We seem to all be on the same page. You'll be getting more for what you currently pay, and we're adding some tiers. We're doing some really cool stuff. Uh, we're making a jump to YouTube, so that's going to have some implications, but we're, we're, we're giving more to the patrons. We're giving more to the general public, and we're going to build this community even more. So patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod is where you can go. Even if you're not going to be a patron right now, keep checking back because we're going to update that. And this whole thing is possible because of patrons. Literally, we make like a hundred bucks a month from ads total. <laughs> that does not pay the bills, but the patrons make it happen. So thank you. Did you have anything to uh, shout out? Anything to plug before we go? I've been talking about this for a while on the podcast, but um, my little uh, musical venture I have outside of Yellow Card is called Jetta for you Star Wars fans out there, you you get it. Um, but we put out our first full-length album uh, last Friday. It's called Midwinter. If you need some music to just chill and vibe and study or walk or drive or relax too, that's what we're here for. So check out Midwinter by Jetta. Nice. And Bayside's got a bunch of festivals. Uh, Hawaii in about two weeks, less than two weeks. The Stoke for Summer. Love that Bouncing for you. Souls show in July. And a bunch of Is for Lovers festivals in Iowa and Nashville and North Carolina. Plus a bunch of headlining shows in Buffalo, Long Island, Cleveland, and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So nice. if you want to come see us and you live in the Northeast or any of those other cities, please do. Speaking of um, shows and bands, Ryan and I, we have recently added to the Yellow Card Tour, Story of the Year in Yellow Card, celebrating 20 years of Ocean Avenue and Page Avenue in St. Louis together. This is a thing that's been in the works for a long time and it's finally happening. So tickets are on sale today. Pre-sale is live today. So, you know, check our socials. It's up on both of ours and then our, on our band socials. We've been talking about doing this show for a long time. Yeah. It's happening. We should also talk about doing a show in Japan in uh, two years from now. We should talk about that. We should talk that. about that. We should talk about <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of 
Mosh Eisley, tickets are on sale. Comic-Con weekend, July 21st. MoshEisley.com. Check them out. We've got merch at MoshEisley.com. We've got merch at ThankTheMakerMerch.com. Follow us on social media at ThankTheMakerPod on the stuff, at William Ryan Key, at Nick Bayside, at Adam the Skull. That is all. Listeners, thanks for listening. Patrons, thanks for being patrons. Dudes, I love you. I love you. I know. And until next week, may the force be with you. If you enjoy Thank the Maker, you can support us by following and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Or you can support us directly at patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod, where you can get access to our Discord server, exclusive content, exclusive merch, our recording live stream, and more. Our patrons quite literally make Thank the Maker possible. <laughs>